This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Alex, you know, he's just a man's man. He hasn't gotten around to it. He's watching Home Improvement every night. He's Mm -hmm. like, oh, oh, oh." Doing push ups. Yeah, he's got to do the push ups. Push ups. He's got to grow the beard out. Crush a beer. Got to crush a beer. As if. I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And I'm I'm a a writer, writer, but. Welcome to I'm a Writer But. Today we have Rachel Signer. Rachel is a writer originally from the US, now based in South Australia. She is the author of the memoir You Had Me at Pet Nat and publisher and founder of Pipet Magazine. As well, Rachel is the maker of a very small amount of natural wine under the label Persephone Wines. Welcome, Rachel. Welcome. Thanks so much, Lindsay and Alex. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you uh, all about natural wine and writing and your jet setting life and just ready to dig in with you. But first, I want to hear you read. Okay. Okay. Um, So, um, well, it's not a jet setting life anymore. I know. For some reasons that are fairly obvious. um, I know. We will get into that. Which I'm sure we'll talk about. But (laughs) I did once, yes, move around the world quite a bit. And a lot of my book is based in uh, Paris where I had this kind of intense obsession with living there and being there and people there and lifestyle and the literary history. Um, But in many ways, my experience of moving there was incongruous with what I thought. So I'll just read a very short bit from my time um, early-ish in the book when I had just moved to Paris with two suitcases and like $2,000 in my bank account. Just before 8 a.m., I awoke to the sunlight beaming into my room with fresh beads of sweat forming on my brow. Already my forehead was pulsing. I was totally naked on top of the sheets. Down on the floor, there was a pile consisting of the previous night's clothing and my purse. I reached for my wallet to find receipts from the night before. I wanted to know how much I'd spent. Upon seeing the amount, a rush of anxiety flooded me. Just as the hangover came in full force, I remembered that this musical scholar and I had shared a brief makeout session there on the terrace of Eau des Amis. With all of that wine, I wasn't surprised it happened. I was only glad it didn't progress beyond lip action. Then I saw a new message from Wildman, a selfie he took in his vineyard. He was wearing a beanie and an enormous grin, waving pruning shears at the camera. The accompanying message said, it's a beautiful winter day here, my love. He was adorable, farming diligently in the fresh air while I was drinking myself into a stupor to supposedly start a new life. More sleep, water, coffee, ibuprofen, 
Those were my options to get me through the day and the impending heat wave already in evidence so early in the morning was not helping. Thank you so much. I really loved, um, there was so much about this book that I couldn't wait to talk to you about because the love story between you and Wildman, should I call him Wildman or should I call him Anton? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think Wildman because, you know, they say even in nonfiction that you create characters, even though they're supposedly based on real people. Right. So like the totally. character's name is Wildman, even though he's obviously Anton. I mm-hmm. think most people know that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really loved um, just these competing impulses inside you. And and I know it's weird to talk about that because this is your life. Um, and they, and this really was happening and it was really difficult, um, to sort of parse your feelings and, and come to your ultimate, you know, choice that you made, um, spoiler of being with wild man. Um, and I, I absolutely loved how honest you were about that, about, um, falling in love with him, but also being in love with Paris and being in love with, you know, your independence and, the city and, you know, cause wild man lives in, in a rural part of Australia. Um, and I, I just kind of wanted to hear you talk about what it was like, you know, pushing yourself to that honesty as you wrote and, and probably as you edited, and then as you thought about publishing this, and then also what it feels like to have that out in the world now. Oh, very, two very different feelings. Mm-hmm, I bet. I bet. Um, It was my first book and I think you are living under this presumption that nobody's actually going to read it and then it's all sort of an illusion, you Mm -hmm. know, that your publishing deal was a joke or something like that. Um, And that maybe worked to my benefit in that I was maybe less inhibited in some ways. I definitely, there's definitely things in the book that I read and I cringe and I'm like, oh my Mm. God, I (laughs) that like. I wrote that about my husband. Oh my God, people must think X, Y, and Z. Um, and I'm sure that they do, but um, I know I was pretty uninhibited. And um, yeah, I, I should add, I think being postpartum, um, mm. which is a very particular difficult kind of hormonal state really helped me to be uninhibited. Um, it was also the pandemic. So I was like, and when I say postpartum, people think, do I mean postpartum depression? And, and for some for some months, yeah, I, I was experiencing that. But even if you're not experiencing postpartum depression, you're just this kind of whirling tornado of hormones kind yeah. of out in the world with your, your baby surviving pretty much solely off of your body. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. um, that's where I was when I was like writing about this. It was very proximate to um, that moment in a lot of ways. And I don't know, I, 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 I have, because I've been a lifelong diarist, I think writing, writing candidly came easily to me. And I, I've always loved published um, diaries. Like I've, I've loved the works of Anais Nin, for example. I really like autofiction that goes almost so, so too close to home in some ways, I think in its, its descriptions of feelings and and so on. Mm -hmm. So that's the way I like to write. And I, I could have written a different book that was not a memoir, but I thought, what am I probably best at? And it's really talking about my own experiences. Rachel, how much of the drafting of this book involved referring back to diaries that you had kept in the past or 
was it more that you were thinking about sentence making and then when you would hit a point where maybe you were checking for you know accuracy or even inspiration it was the kind of thing where you where you would refer to those diaries what did what did the actual drafting look like it was so interesting all of that um so I have always kept two kinds of journals. One was professional and one was personal. And when I say professional, I mean like intellectual, like, you know, at one point in my career, I was doing anthropology. So that was kind of my notebook. And then I switched to food and wine writing. So then I started keeping food and wine notebooks. And at the same time, then I would have like a diary, which I also talk about in the book. Anyway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yes, that's a that's quite a moment in the book. when It is. <laughs> That's one of the things I cringe about, to be honest. Oh, um, he. <laughs> yeah, I know. Really, really. Was... <laughs> but I mean, you had such. I mean, not to not to digress from Alex's great question, but like, you mm-hmm. you have such. At the time, you had such clear eyes about how wounded he was, and you understood that about him. Yeah. Um, again, it's so weird to talk about this as if you're a character in a book. This is your life. Um, but yeah. I, I found yeah. that very poignant that he. He did this horrible thing, but you, and Mm -hmm. and you were rightfully so enraged, but you also were able to be sort of clear-eyed about it and understand where he was coming from. It was just one of those moments where these two people truly love each other, but they, you know, they can't stand in the same spot yet. Um, And I think those, those love stories are important, Mm -hmm. you know, and and we don't see enough of those, Um, you know, it's, it's work um, and it's, and it's commitment and dedication. And I, I just so appreciated that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, sorry, go back to Alex's question. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I want to talk more about that too. But um, yeah, what, what Alex brought up. So I had a pile, a stack of notebooks going back to 2013 when I first went as a wine journalist to Burgundy, which is also discussed briefly in the book. And I had refused to throw these away. I dragged them around first yeah. to Europe and then to Australia. And they just sat there on my desk. And then when I sold the book, I was like, okay. I'm going to be using these now. And I had all these detailed notes of every wine tasting, every winemaker I had visited, everything was in there. Um, so I used those. And then I also used my personal diary, but something funny happened. And I think memory is so interesting, but a couple of times I really was super confused about the, um, kind of the course of events in my own life, because I Mm. remembered them one way and they were completely different in my diary. And I assume my diary is correct because I write in it like once a week. And so that was kind of mind blowing. And I had to, you know, redo one of my drafts and tell my agent, I'm sorry, I must sound like a crazy person, but that's not actually how it happened. That happened first or whatever. Um, but that was very helpful. And then I had the immense relief of throwing away all of those <laughs> journals from 2013 <laughs> onward with all of my wine notes, like that I don't need anymore. It was great to just make use of them and then say goodbye. <laughs> Get rid of them. So did you come at this book? Did you write a proposal first and then sell it on the proposal and then write the book? Yeah, I okay. went through a couple a couple approaches actually, mm. um, and more than one agent and more than one concept over years. But okay, tell, the, tell us. Front, so I started kind of looking for a publishing deal probably prematurely in like 20, I don't know, 15 or something, 16. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd only been writing for a couple of years, but I was like, 
oh my God, we need a really good book about natural wine and I'm the one to do it. Like I really felt that, um, that I didn't have a very strong concept. And so it was, it was starting to go in the direction of like a, a guidebook with a lot of pictures and less of a voicey narrative driven book. And I was like, mm, you know, and I had a meeting with a publisher and I was like, I think I don't know what I'm doing and mm. I'm going to go in a different direction. So then I ended up starting the magazine um, and doing that for a while and using that as like kind of my storytelling um, space. And then I had another agent and that's when I was starting to really get a clear idea of what the book would be. But I thought it was going to be a book about moving to France and opening a wine bar with my best friend mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. that's what I was doing. And that's what right. I was so sure I was doing with my life. And so when my life changed and followed the course that it did, I found, um, Laura, my current agent who is amazing and who actually loves natural wine. And she was like, Oh, I've heard of your magazine. And this blew <gasps> me away. Oh my gosh. Totally. Yeah. Like I was like, you're the one, you're the one. <laughs> and she really got what I was trying to do. And, um, then we, we sort of figured out, we were like, how are we going to sell this book? And she was like, you pretty much need to write at least half of it. So at that point, I think I had, I don't know, 50 pages mm. and she was like, no, you need more. And so mm. I wrote more and then we did a massive chapter outline and lots of description of, you know, all the things that go into, into a proposal, um, the comparative lit, all of that. So it was like a huge proposal and then half the book. So that's what it took. <laughs> wow. I, I was so struck as I read, um, I was, I was in heaven reading all the descriptions of flavors and geography and, um, you know, it's, it's wine and natural wine seems to lend itself really well to like literary pursuits and um and the way that you describe the natural wine world which i was so unaware of i had no Same. clue um you know i would have thought oh do you mean organic <laughs> you know like yeah okay mm -hmm. organic wine i get it um but it's a completely different thing i had no idea what a wild world it is and 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 the way that you describe it is um almost sort of rebellious um and and really all about um like the the individual makers themselves and the choices that they make and and um it's very very small batches and um and it can differ from you know release to release is that the right way to put it um completely everything you're saying is totally spot on i i just mm -hmm. absolutely loved that i loved reading about it um i went out i i told rachel this i went out and got myself some natural wine so that i could <laughs> try it myself um and, and I just, I'm struck by how um, those two things seem to go together, writing and making, right? Um, including your, your making of your magazine, Pipette, and before that, Tear, um, you had mm -hmm. a magazine before this, and natural winemaking. And, and I'd love to hear from you sort of how these two worlds like um, work with each other or work in opposition to each other, because it really feels like the same well of creativity or... Um, you know, that, that you're able to, um, draw from each, you know, each feeds the other. Yeah. Making wine and writing about wine or yeah. just making and writing in general. Yeah. And, and absolutely. And at the same time, I don't know if other people feel this way. I always wonder what I would be like if I just wrote, if I just gave up everything mm. for like a year at least, and just focused on 
like my next project. And, but then I also have to step back and look at myself and I'm like, you would just come up with some other project. Like you can't <laughs> stop. Like, I mean, my cuticles are like, you know, raw and, and black. And I'm like, oh my God, what's next? What's next? Like, I, I just love, I'm a very kind of active person. And I, I, yeah, I express a lot of creativity in winemaking um, mm -hmm. and also improving the farm that we live on, mm -hmm. which is sort of the prologue to this book, which is that I, I sort of figured out kind of how to be in this place that I didn't understand at all for the first two years I was living here. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like I go down into my winery and it's very calm and quiet. It's a little shed with completely manual equipment. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like an industrial space with like a forklift and a loud press. And as I talk about in the book, that was very much a conscious choice to to make wine that way. And I'll, I'll never really be able to scale up. Um, but that's perfect because I write also. So I don't need, I'm not trying to like be a full-time winemaker. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it it's, I think it's so creative and so beautiful. It's, it's like in some ways, what sometimes when you're cooking, you really hit that note and you've got the right music on the kitchens, like nice and clean and you're really you know you have a candle burning and you just mm -hmm. feel amazing mm -hmm. and you make this food and you share it with people and you're like that is what life is for that's it right there and and sometimes making wine for me can be really like that and I just come out of it in this most amazing mood um and a weird thing has happened to me in vintage because we're in vintage right now mm. so the past six weeks it's been like 7am picking in the vineyard, processing grapes the rest of the day, pressing, cleaning, like all of the, all of the things. Um, I've had this creative surge where I have had so many ideas come forth about the next book I'm working on and, and like things. It's been really interesting. So I think for some people being really busy and doing things with your hands must, must stimulate the parts of the brain that are like literary, mm -hmm. it must be. Mm -hmm. Also, even just having less time, I feel like sometimes can be such a, uh, I don't know, yeah. a wonderful impetus for creation because yes. it's like, yes. it's like when you truly have no time, you're so desperate to, to reclaim that time and, 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 and create. And I think a lot of times that, that does bear some kind of amazing things where you're just desperate for the next project or the next, whatever it may be for sure. Yeah. It's so it's constraints, isn't it? Yes. yes. Constraints allow artistic creativity. Mm -hmm. Oh man. I mean, I feel like Alex and I um, say that every, every episode. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like anytime someone's like, Lindsay, do you want to teach a workshop? I'm like, yes. How about one on constraints? <laughs> <laughs> That would be amazing. How about like um, word count? How about that? Um, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, word count. Yeah, love some word count. It reminds me my um, at my old job. It was a women-owned business, and mm -hmm. I remember asking for some time off of work, unpaid time off, so that I could go write what ended up being my last novel, "Eat Only When You're Hungry." And I asked my boss, and she just kind of looked at me, and she was like, "You know what? Yeah, because you know what? As a woman, you can have it. You can't have it all." Um, or no, she said, you can have it all, but you can't have it all at once. <laughs> oh, 
She's so right. She's so right. Yeah. She, she owned oh. the business and she had four kids. And so she knew yeah. what the hell she was talking about. Um, that's and, it. And uh. I think about that all the time. It's, and it's what you're saying. It's that moment where everything feels right. Like, okay, I've reached this point. My home is clean. It smells good. I have served yeah. a nutritious meal. Everyone's chill. Like nobody's ang- anxious. And my kid's not <laughs> screaming. I'm going to the office. Yes, (laughs) I have done it. I have done it. And then the next day you're like, oh, I suck again. You know, it's like, you can have it all, but not all at once. All over again. Yeah. So I've just applied for a couple of writing residencies. I've never been in a writing residency, but I'm hoping to do that in the next like year because yeah, I don't know what it's like to not be distracted. They're they're in Australia. Okay. They're in Australia. Okay. Okay. No, I, um, I don't know. I don't remember what that's like either. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, to have some quiet. Um, I would love to hear about uh, travel because travel, and I know that this is very different now, um, but travel seemed essential to your creative life. And it seems like Wild Man has to do a lot of traveling for um, the winery. Uh, is that still part of your life? Are you still having to go to Europe? Um, you know, and go around and do these things now that you have a child, now that, you know, that your guys are in the same place. (laughs) I know. I just shattered every aspect of my identity all at once by having a kid in Australia at the start of a pandemic. Um, That was really interesting. And no, for my husband too, um, interacting with people abroad has always been important. I think in Australia, um, it's because it's an island mm-hmm. like and it's this it's it has its own bizarre kind of colonial history there's just a need for people to leave and interact and then come back because a lot of a lot of culture here in some ways is developed through that dialogue so i think for my husband being able to go abroad and interact with the natural wine world at large is like hugely hugely important and he's very excited about kind of getting back out there and so we both are excited to to go abroad um Mm -hmm. but like I guess sort of backing up a bit yeah so it is definitely travel I think for me I just need to constantly be learning another language I don't know why I have this weird like tick (laughs) <laughs> but I, I started, you know, taking language classes as a child and have basically, since I was five years old, been studying some foreign language. And so it's really like a part of me. And I just miss speaking other, I basically do like romance languages now at this point. Mm. And so I'm um, pretty eager to get on a plane and I've been learning Italian for the past um, nice. kind of two years on and off when I, when I had time, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. have like a, I don't know, I keep little workbooks around the house and I, I write people emails in Italian whenever I do business with people in Italy, just little tiny ways to practice. Mm-hmm. You know, I do like the coffee break Italian podcasts and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're, we're going as a family. We <laughs> are, we're crazy. We're like taking our <laughs> two-year-old to Europe and we don't even have it all really planned out we're just kind of going and we are seeing a few people um 
But you know what? We're going to, I think it'll be good. We're going to try to sort of be around families, like people that have kids. Yeah. She's very social. She's two and a half, basically. Mm-hmm. And if there's another kid around, she's like, fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. awesome. Are you going to go yeah. see Gabba? Because Gabba's big in your book, too. I'm basically see- flying straight into Gabba's arms. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. great. Oh, that's we wonderful. We haven't seen each other in three years. How um, old is her uh, child now? So he's, he's three and a bit. I've only met him when he was a newborn. And um, so, yeah, like our kids are finally going to play together and we're going to watch them play on the playground and drink wine out of coffee cups. Probably. That's Um, fantastic. It's going to be amazing. And then I'm also (laughs) going to the States to see my family, of course. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Being a pandemic mom, I'm sure a lot of people can relate. Like most of my family hasn't met my daughter Mm -hmm. at all Mm -hmm. um so that's totally insane so we're gonna fix that as soon as possible it's very strange I think my mom has met my daughter my youngest is gonna be four Mm. um has met her maybe twice Um, right yeah because it's just you can't you can't do it um my same that same boss that I was just talking about her one piece of advice Mm. for travel with little ones was never on the airplane, never let their feet touch the, touch the ground. <laughs> Why? Because once, then, once they know they yeah. can get out of their seat, <laughs> then they just oh, want yeah. to be out of their seat the whole time. <laughs> oh, I don't think I can avoid that. It's yeah. 24 hours. So it's 14 hours oh just God. to get from Australia to the Middle East, which is the, the, the hub, basically, if you're going to Europe or if you're going to kind of anywhere in that part of the world. And so then it's six hours from the Middle East to Paris. Wow. Um, so we'll be during that 14 hour fly, we'll be walking around for sure. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to the takeoffs and the landings because that's the part where she has to be strapped in in, right. in a seatbelt and she's going to be like throwing a fit. Um, yeah. But I'm planning to bring like an insane amount of snacks. And mm-hmm. um, I bought her headphones, which will be like a novelty. Mm-hmm. She's never used headphones before. So she might think that's cool to like watch <laughs> cartoons and like go. have her own headphones. And I bought this like, um, pop-up book about airports and airplanes. Oh, smart. She's, yeah. Yeah. She's really liking it. So our farm, like we have like a huge, basically open sky above us and airplanes fly ahead, um, overhead all the time. So I'm always like, look, there's an airplane. We're going on the airplane, but she just stares at me. like, <laughs> She's like, like, are you nuts? That's We're definitely not on. happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Um, can I just ask you briefly about your Jay McInerney blurb? Oh yeah. Please tell me how that happened. Oh my God. That was so insane. Um, (laughs) so yeah, I guess you are aware Jay obviously is the author of bright lights, big city, Mm -hmm. very famous literary novel written in the second person. Um, and then he basically kind of pivoted to wine writing and he's a total like, I didn't know that. Whoa. Yeah. He's super into wine, like goes out and drinks Burgundy. And he has this collection of, of wine essays, um, that he's written or maybe he's edited another collection. He's written a couple things about wine. So he is like really close with, I guess, so somebody at the website Lit Hub mm-hmm. um, is also into wine. And I was corresponding with them because 
this writer I know put me in touch with them. When you're looking for a blurb, you're just like, hello, anyone, like throwing (laughs) yourself. And I haven't even (laughs) been to the States in years. So I was like hitting up pretty old friends and thank God they like, remember me and they're like, oh, you're still writing about natural wine. Oh, you (laughs) sold a book. That's wild. Um, And they were like, oh, shall I put you in touch with Jay McInerney? And I wrote back so quickly. I was like, yes, please. (laughs) And then he read the book in one night and he said he, or one day he said he read it on his couch while he was hungover and he couldn't put it down. <laughs> he loved it. He read it on like a tablet or something. And then he just fired off that blurb and I thought it was perfect. And at first we cut the first part where yeah. it says, so he says, I lean more towards champagne than pet nap. but Rachel Signer's right. addictive memoir drew me deep into the world of natural wine, et cetera, et cetera. And then he says that my personal journey is really what makes it a compelling book. So at first I was like, should we cut the part where he says he prefers champagne? (laughs) And then I was like, no, we can't do that to Jay. We can't. I absolutely love the impulse to edit Jay McInerney's blurb. Like this is God. (laughs) <laughs> this is too much. Okay. Simmer down over there, Jay. <laughs> I think he, some part of him might've enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but we left it in, in the end. Yeah. So that was awesome. That was really helpful because I think also I was slightly concerned. This was going to be uh, a book that was marketed only toward women and that mm. women talked about and that like no dudes read every time I see a guy reading my book on Instagram or whatever I'm like yeah like push past <laughs> the the memoir is for women thing do it um and having having Jay tell me how much he liked the book like really helped I think with that isn't that crazy that is crazy <laughs> we put um a lipstick on the cover of my second book don't mm. kiss me and I remember us kind of being like well does this seem like is this going to tell men that they can't read this book like are they going to look at it and be like no we can't read this book it has lipstick on the cover that's the reason I still haven't read it Lindsay did I tell oh you oh my god <laughs> oh, I just brutal. refuse I see that lipstick and I'm like no fucking way I'm not reading that you, book what if you were seen in public reading a book with lipstick I on know it? it's like what could happen I don't know it's so interesting, like marketing and what people choose to read. But, you know, if if women read women, women and men read men, I don't know, like maybe we're just looking for someone to kind of validate a lot of our inner thoughts when we pick up a book mm. in some ways. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, because I, I would say there's a lot of universal truths in, in anything, in any genre, and anyone can gain something from them. But sometimes we're looking for someone to really speak directly to us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Hmm. Yeah. Or we're, maybe or we're maybe we'll push past else. that as an industry in the future. And especially, I think, with like more non-binary authors kind of mm. um, gaining recognition. Uh, like I think tra- Detransition Baby was such a game changer. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited for whatever Tori Peters comes out with next and like more authors that she would highlight. Um, so yeah, maybe that's all changing in the future. I think it's changed significantly. And I have to say, mm-hmm. after all that hand wringing, so many men talk to me about how much they love Don't Kiss Me. Um, oh, cool. So it didn't stop yeah, any wow. of them. <laughs> but I think, I, mean. I think for sure. Yeah, Alex, you know, he's just a man's man. He's <laughs> hasn't gotten around to it. That's watching man, Home man Improvement every night. He's mm-hmm. like, oh, 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 oh. doing push-ups. <laughs> Yeah, he's got to do the push-ups. Push-ups. 
He's got to grow the beard out. Crush a beer. Got to crush a beer. As if. Yeah. So you mentioned briefly uh, a little bit earlier um, that Pipette just closed um, your your magazine. How many how many issues was it? Uh, so I published ten issues. They kind of came out every four months. It was it was amazing, and um, some of it I did during the pandemic, and some of it mm-hmm. I did with a baby. And yeah, basically from like issue six onward, I was very close to letting it go. And then people really encouraged me to keep publishing. But when I, when I decided to keep going, I said, I am, I am going to have to cut this off at some point. And so I I said, issue 10 will be the last, like uh, in in advance, in a year in advance. Mm. And um, yeah, so Pipette, was awesome. I worked with writers, artists, and photographers all over the world. It's um, every issue was 96 pages and um, every issue was just like packed with things you'd want to read to learn about natural wine. Or if you're into natural wine, like I've, I've run into winemakers buying a copy. um, And I I know people who just got into natural wine who who ordered the entire set. So I think it's really, it's it's been for everyone because we always tried to keep the language extremely accessible and also really human centered. So about like the people more than the wine making as much as possible. Um, It was so much fun. I, I definitely let it go at a good time. So everybody knows this, but prices for any kind of shipped good have skyrocketed during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, And then with fuel costs rising and kind of everything in Europe being affected by the war in Ukraine, um, the prices just went up again a lot, like really a lot. So it's becoming untenable. Um, My printer is in Berlin and they ship from there. And that's been great in a lot of ways um but yeah i think i think it was the it was a good moment to get out so we've we've i've been like toying with online content but i would never know how to monetize that and without Mm -hmm. monetizing it i couldn't pay Mm -hmm. contributors Mm -hmm. so i don't know i don't know what would be next um for this magazine and the community around it but i'm I'm still thinking (laughs) Something. Yeah, I just I really want to honor that um, impulse in you that comes up again mm. and again to um, to make, um, you know, like you, mm. you did that with tear and you did that with you had me at pet Nat and you did that with Persephone mm-hmm. and you did that with um, pipette mm-hmm. and and it's just in you. I, and I and I think that same impulse mm. is is wrapped in motherhood as well. Um, and so mm-hmm. I just absolutely love that about you and um and if people are interested you can go um there's there's peepet back issues available right yeah most of them a few of them are sold out yeah on peepetmagazine.com i'm kind of laughing to myself Lindsay, because um something about me as like a parent as a mom is that i'm terrible at like craft stuff and i'm so bad (laughs) Hate you know, it. they have all these like make your own food coloring things. I, there was a time when I used to Google frantically, what the hell do you do with a toddler? Mm-hmm. And oh, it's yeah. all <laughs> so complicated. And I, I'm 
do you understand what I'm saying? Like I'm fully capable of publishing a magazine with a designer based in London and contributors around the world. (laughs) But do I know how to like make a dollhouse? Absolutely not. No. Okay. It's totally different. It It is totally different when you're doing something like that um, to like entertain your toddler or distract them for 20 (sighs) minutes. So you can like be in the bathroom alone. Yeah, that's time. Time. At best. At best. 75 <laughs> seconds. 75 like, seconds. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so different. Like if you and your toddler yeah. were like working together on like a clay sculpture that like mattered <laughs> to you, that's different. Okay. But like if you're that's like beautiful concept. Let's, let's like throw these orbies <laughs> in the tub. And and you're not gonna like try to put them in your mouth or you know, throw them out of the tub <sighs> or try to flush them down the no, it's so different. Not. It's torture. It is torture. <laughs> I remember one time. I put some macaroni into already. I'm stressed. I am already oh, stressed. See, see you know what's happening. So, you know, she plays with it. There's water involved. I give her some things to pour and scoop with. And she's in bliss for maybe six and a half minutes. And then I look and there's just like macaroni all over the patio. Yeah. Like there's some in the dog's fur. She's like smushing it into the dog. Yep. Um, it's, you know, in her hair, it's everywhere. And I'm like, oh, I didn't really think how I'm going to clean up wet macaroni from all over the patio. No, and, and you'll find that you'll find that five years from now, you'll be like, oh my God, this is the macaroni from that stupid activity <laughs> I did. <laughs> when she was one and a half. Yes. Yes. I find macaroni all over okay. my house all the yeah. time. Yeah. I'm on my hands and knees. It doesn't matter. They pop up out of nowhere to laugh in my face. Mm-hmm. Oh, even like a struggle coloring mm-hmm. is stressful. They break the crayons, you know, like they drop them on the ground and step Feed on them, them to the dogs. Yes. Coloring is stressful. Finger painting is massively stressful. I always think about that passage in night bitch, which is like a book I can't stop talking yes. about. Um, I was going to say that to the finger you. painting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good. Where it starts out like, yes, this is great. I can do this. And then it's like, I'm going to kill myself. I just (laughs) sympathize with the protagonist in that book, like every Mm -hmm. step of the way. Mm -hmm. It's so good. Manifesto. It truly is. Except I kind of wanted her to like divorce her husband. I was like, I don't think she needs him. Can she just get rid of him? Like, I I was very bitter that he was always leaving her. I know that that was definitely a thing. I, I love that there were some unresolved issues there because that's yeah, true. life, right? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Well, so you uh, mentioned that in during vintage, you had a bunch of ideas. Are they ideas toward a project you've been thinking about or just disparate ideas? Yeah, okay. um, I went, yeah, I have been working on a couple of them. And so one is that I decided I'm going to start doing online workshops um, because even being based in Australia, like, um, so my morning is your dinner time. And I think that's actually really good. Like that actually works really well for most people. So I'm doing a workshop in a couple of weeks about pitching. Cause that's the question I get most is how do I pitch publications or how do I start writing? And so I, I, you know, I have like 10 years now of experience of writing pitches and accepting them also. And so I'm just going to, um, launch that and um, maybe do a couple more later this year. Um, So that's really fun. And then the other, I am very curious what you guys think. So I've had this nagging idea. Um, It's a children's book called Mm -hmm. Mommy and Daddy Make Wine. Cool. Go on. And 
I guess it would be for like four or five, six year olds. And so it's Drinking age. written <laughs> exactly for children who are already interested in wine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I know I did wonder like, can you write a book about alcohol for kids? But I'm still looking into that. Um, <laughs> I think most kids watch their parents have a drink at night, right? So that's part of it is I figure kids are seeing this every mm-hmm. day anyway, or mm-hmm. regularly anyway. And, and parents like wine. And also as a parent, don't you like to read your kid a book about something that also interests you and yes. that, so the grownups would learn a little bit maybe about winemaking and then the book would be written from the kid's perspective. So about, so the kid is explaining what wine is and because his mommy or their mommy and daddy make wine they're explaining because they know they're like an expert um, because they jump on the grapes when mommy and daddy bring the grapes in does your daughter do that yeah a little bit yeah and she you know likes to if you give her a little cup she'll like transfer juice from one bucket to another and yeah she uh, oh she likes to hold the hose (laughs) <laughs> likes to wash things, which is actually a huge part of winemaking is washing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think so, that's great. And if you incorporate, the, uh, it out. Yeah. incorporate the wild kangaroos that are on your property oh, which and the koalas, the grapes. Yeah. Oh, they do? <laughs> oh. Yeah. Kangaroos are like a big threat to vineyards. So people build massive fences around their vineyards. Um, and also birds, we have just massive, massive bird populations in Mm -hmm. Australia. And so everyone has to put these nets over all of their ripe grapes and their apples and pears and whatever else, whatever kind of fruit you grow. Um, yes. Adventures in Australia. (laughs) See all that, all that is good stuff. Yeah, that is real good stuff. (laughs) Um, Where's Wild Man right now? Um, Oh, he's in a vineyard. Yeah. Okay. Um, He is there with the whole crew. I got out of it because it was podcast day for me. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Man, anytime. Just tell him we have to talk to you every day this week. (laughs) Do this next week. Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah. I think they're picking Merlot. So we're, we're picking the, the later ripening varieties. They're picking Merlot and also a bit of Fiano, which is a white grape from Southern Italy. Um, So somebody like grafted Fiano onto something else and they're, you know, people experiment with all sorts of varieties here. Um, Mm. Now that, now that the wine industry is, is booming, it used to be people just grew Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc and Merlot and Syrah. Mm-hmm. And now there's lots of more interesting things that people are growing. And so in a couple hours, they'll all roll back with the trailers full of green bins, full of grapes and all the noises in the winery will start up and that's the day. Well, please tell him I said hello. Okay, I and- will. I'm going to do everything in my power to find your wine. Um, the guy that at the wine store said there's one importer in California. Yeah. Um, so they just have to, I know they sell your wine sometimes. They didn't have any this time, but I'm, I'm going to do everything in my power to find it as soon as it comes in. Oh, um, great. I'm yeah. So well, there's, we're putting some on a boat heading to the States like uh, this week. So oh, good. I think okay. it takes about six weeks. Okay. Yeah. It travels on like a cargo ship. Awesome. I will call my guy who I'm calling my guy. 
yeah. once. <laughs> that's what you need to get into wine is that's you right. need a person and then you just go to them and you're like, what do I drink now? And they'll remember you. Yes. Wine salespeople live for this, for someone who's getting into like a certain kind of wine and they can guide you and oh, yeah. be like, try this, try this, try this. It's like our heaven to just be able to help people discover cool stuff. I putting myself in his position, I walked in there like, <laughs> I want a pet gnat. I'm reading this book. <laughs> to his credit, he knew exactly what book it was. He knew exactly who you were. He had great <laughs> suggestions. And then I was like, and my mother-in-law likes Pinot Grigio from the store. So where can I get a natural wine that she'll like? And he was great. And he picked out some really great stuff. It's called Red and White Wines in Chicago, if anyone wants to check it out. Um, but yeah, I'll call him and say, as soon as you get Lucy Margot wines or Persephone, <laughs> call me. Oh, yeah. But there's a whole thing in wine sales called the mom test. So oh. with, with a wine that's a little bit crazy, you're like, would it pass the mom test? Oh my goodness. Just basically, would someone who has their brand of Pinot Grigio or like my mom, you know, drinks like she always has like a, a liter bottle of Chardonnay open on the counter yep. and drinks yep. that over the course of like a week. Mm-hmm. Would they like it? And it's a very important kind of question because- um, maybe they wouldn't. And then you're like, okay, don't get that. You know, there's lots of, there's a misconception about natural wine that it's all super crazy and wild. And some styles and some varieties are much more stable than others. And they will taste completely classic. And you're like, this must have something, you know, this must have preservatives added. There's no way this is just grapes. It would be it would taste crazy if it was just grapes, but right. some styles do really taste very like stable and classic. Yes. I, the one that I got for her, um, I think you use this word in your book. It felt structural, mm-hmm. which I really mm-hmm. appreciated. Um, I really don't like sweet wines. I really don't like anything that feels yeah. like, I don't know, like I'm being manipulated or I don't know, baby. Oh, wow. You might be a natural wine drinker. <laughs> Maybe I am. I'm yeah. So, um, yeah, I feel like I, uh, mm-hmm. I really loved your book. I feel like I really was introduced to a world I had no idea existed and it just caught my interest and I can't wait to, to do more research into it. It's, it's really, really fun. I'm so glad you wrote this book. Oh, that's so awesome to hear. I'm, I'm really just glad that it's like, getting you into natural wine, you found your place to go, you found your guy. Good. Yeah. And and like I said, it is really literary because like, we're always as writers trying to figure out how to Mm -hmm. describe something, right? Like Mm -hmm. without being cliche or vague, like we want to really get you and, and you do that in your book and, you know, Mm -hmm. like holding it on your tongue, holding the wine on your tongue and really thinking about how you would describe this is just, it's awesome. It's a great, Mm -hmm. great little exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, if people want to uh, take your workshop, where where do they go? Um, <clears throat> so it's pretty soon, and I think it it would be sell- probably sold out by that point. To be quite honest, so I have six people signed up, and I just I feel like I would cap it at seven or eight. But okay. um, I'll announce future ones as well. And so. Um, there's a signup form on the ppetmagazine.com website for, for the workshop. And I will be offering another one probably in like July. And I'd also love to hear from people if there's a specific kind of online writing workshop they might be into. Um, so I'm 
usually able to respond to messages on Instagram. So I'm just at Rach Sig. And then the, the magazine is at Pipette Magazine. Um, and they both kind of get to me. And yeah, I also heard about this organization called The Loft that I might be doing some oh, workshops yes. with. So, That's great. Um, we'll see. We'll see where it all goes. Excellent. Well, that's awesome. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for writing this book. Thank you for being so open with us. And um, the book is You Had Me at Pet Nat. It is a joy to read. It's completely honest and raw. And it's got a lot of great wine writing. It's It's got it all. I'm a Writer Butt is recorded by Alex Hickley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. Yay!